Okay, we're off. Fasten your safety belts. Um, what I'm going to look at is uh, individual guidance and also corporate guidance. So in talking about individual guidance, um, obviously my experience of life is limited because I am a man and a husband and a father and we've never brought up girls. So some of what I say um, is our experience and may not be yours, but um, kindly bear with me. And uh, in looking at guidance for individuals, I first of all thought in terms of what I'd call standing orders. You don't have to pray about what your attitude should be. The scriptures plainly tell you standing orders and um, those standing orders if we obey them will bring life and if we disobey them they will bring death so it's a serious thing so i made a selection of four standing orders the first is love your neighbor as yourself it's in leviticus and Jesus amplified that to say, love your enemies. And um, that is our standing order. And uh, if we obey it, that brings life. If you do not forgive your neighbour, and neighbour means anybody, it's not the people you live with, the people you bump into, the people in the office, people were anybody, if you do not forgive them and you allow what I'd call a root of bitterness to grow up, it will bring death and destroy you. So it's very serious stuff. And um, we had a, a very minor incident where we live. Something happened and I had to sort it out. And uh, I rang up a neighbour. I wrongly thought <laughs> she had done it. <laughs> But she hadn't. My wife, ever a fount of wisdom, pointed out who had really done it. So I immediately went round to this neighbour. I did not telephone her again, knocked on her door, had a face-to-face -face talk, and all was resolved. Because I was most anxious that nothing should grow up and become something big. So in the message, the Lord's Prayer is, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. That's an imperative. Right, my second standing order is husbands love your wives. There you and it says in Ephesians, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so it's sacrificial, all-consuming stuff. And it is a duty, a duty for a husband to love his wife. And that means above children, above possessions, above career, above ministry, above position. Wife first. And um, I have to say, I've not always achieved that. However, we're okay now. He's forgiven. 
don't forgive them. I was with a guy once, not that long ago, and we were talking about our wives, and I said, um, how often do you tell your wife you love her? He said, oh, well, maybe once a week. I said, man, that's rubbish. Once a day, absolute minimum. I'm not sure what he did. But the other side of that is unfaithfulness brings death. And um, if we look at the well-known story of Potiphar, I think there's somebody at the door, in Genesis, it says, after a while, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. And listen to this, or even be with her. Again, she said, come to bed with me. But he ran out of the house. And we know the commandments, which are clear. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. This is serious stuff. And how do these things start? Well, that woman, she touched my fingers at the photocopier. What's that about? Or maybe you had to prepare a paper for an urgent meeting next, next day and you're alone in the office with a woman preparing a paper. Watch it. Being alone with a woman requires very definite guidance. And the rule is, and it does happen sometimes, it's happened to me, as part of my role to have a private conversation with a woman. But we met in the Boston Tea Party, a large open public space, and you can have a private conversation in a public place, and that is what to do. And don't ever think this will never happen to you. There are many well-known leaders who have fallen into adultery. That's finished them off. And you may think, well, the consequences, you know, there can be forgiveness and grace and mercy. That is true. But there are consequences and they have to be dealt with. I've experienced um, adultery in the workplace with people I worked for and with. And I can tell you, it gets very complicated. So husbands, love your wives. My third one is train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it, it says in Proverbs. Or in the NIV, it says, start children off in the way they should go. Now, becoming a parent is real pioneer stuff. You've never been there before. And uh, if you're a man, let me tell you the golden rule. Mother knows best, especially in the beginning. I had to learn that the hard way, but it's true. Mother knows best. And um, it's, uh, we had um, 
four boys, as you know, when our eldest was born, David, there was this incident when he climbed onto a low coffee table and banged his head against the wall in temper about something. And it was a real wake-up call. Who is going to rule? Is it him or us? We decided it was us. So when three years odd later, John came along, we thought, oh, great. We know about boys. We're up for it. To our astonishment, John was totally different than David. It was like starting again, man. So it's all pioneer stuff. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, that is in the Christian family. Children are to obey. It says about fathers, fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That is by example in lifestyle and also instruction. Now, don't misunderstand me, we didn't always get it right. But there was a procedure called putting them down. And it meant that dad always went upstairs when a boy was, you know, undressed in bed, ready to go to sleep, and put them down. I.e., we would talk, and I would maybe, well, always pray, but maybe read the Bible, maybe talk about something else. And, um, of course, sometimes I forgot, and this plaintive voice would come down and say, Dad, you're going to put me down. So I put them down. And, you know, one of our boys is 18. He's still like being put down. He was uh, into cricket, slow left-arm bowler. And he would say, oh, Dad, I bowled this slow down. It went to silly mid-off, and he dropped it. Oh, and then the next one went to third man, and I'm thinking, I did listen to him, and he liked it. And um, in the inner city gangs you read about, it's well known that fatherlessness is rife in those communities. I'm not saying nor is anybody else. That is the sole reason. But it's a huge factor. Children need fathers. My fourth topic is the occult. In Deuteronomy, it says, Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And further on it says, when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping. And when we went into prison, this topic often came up. And the guys would tell you it had damaged them. You didn't have to tell them. And then we would read these verses. You might say, well, that was prison. But let me tell you, it's around. I was um, playing table tennis uh, with a chap whose name was Dennis. We only had one in. And um, somebody had tipped me off that he had been into spiritism. So I asked him about it. 
And he said, yes, he said, I was in the seance with a medium and she called up my father who is dead. And I recognized my voice, his voice. And there was, uh, you know, an exchange. I said, um, do you know what God thinks about that? He said, no, I don't. I said, well, I'll just nip out to the car and get my Bible and I'll read it to you. He said, oh, don't bother. I'll expect you know it by heart. I said, for a matter of fact, I do. And I gave him this verse about consulting the dead. And that is detestable to God. As far as he listened, I don't know if there was anything else, you know, that he took home. But of course, he only had one in. <laughs> and then uh, in another meeting, this is not long ago in Exminster, the occult got mentioned. And a woman said, oh, that reminds me, I was deeply into tarot cards at one time. So we prayed for her and lifted that offer. So it's around. Don't kid yourself, it's not. So those are my four I picked out. We're moving on now to um, guys I sort of called as and when. And the first thing is, which we all know, there is an abundance of wisdom available in God. And it says in Proverbs, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So in God, there is wisdom, which we need to avail ourselves of. And picking out some of those things, this is what Jesus said. He said, the Father has commanded me what to say and how to say it. He also said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So we need to listen to the wind of the Spirit when we're talking to people. And to ask God what to say and how to say it. Years ago, a friend gave us these words. Boys flying kites draw in those white-winged birds. But you can't do that when you're flying words. Words unspoken fall back dead but even God himself can't kill them once they're said. So we need to be careful. In Proverbs it says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up, stir up anger. So often our words need to be soft, and wise, but not angry response. Or to put it in worldly terms, put your brain in gear before you open your mouth. That's not a scripture. Another quote is from Patrick Regan, who founded the XLP project in the inner cities of London, which is about gang culture, which is well known. Boris Johnson was well acquainted with it. And he was talking about responding to people. And he said, 
answer the question you're being asked. Don't think it's an excuse to go and preach the gospel. So we need to be wise in how we respond to questions. Moving on, in Ecclesiastes, this is another concept. It says, as is well known in chapter 3, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. And part of guidance is knowing your seasons, which can be natural, e.g. becoming a parent, and also knowing your calling. We are not called to get into everything. And the seasons change. There's a time when things finish and a time when things begin. And we need to know those times and be aware of the seasons. Another form of guidance is learning from mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes are themselves without sin, but they're unwise. For example, on one um, time of our lives, there were issues to be taken up with some folk. And uh, being an ex-county council employee, my natural thing was to put them in writing, which I did. Yeah. But it was quite the wrong thing to do with these people. They, they resolved things by talking, lots of talking. So it was a mistake on my part. Another occasion when I was in church leadership, we were very anxious to propagate a certain doctrine and that everybody should be well informed and into it. And so we said, well, before you go into the Sunday service, we want you all to come to this class. Well, it was just not the best way of going about it. It was a mistake. Someone has to learn. In Proverbs it says, there is safety in having many advisors. And uh, Richard Foster talks about that. And um, the Anglicans talk about that. You, you could, I don't know if you can now, you can go to the Anglicans next and say, oh, I'd like a spiritual director. I did that once. That's another story. But when we're in Wales, the um, worship leader, Colin, um, was also the senior partner in a small firm of accountants and um, he offered me a part-time job in the PAYE section which I took. By the way, it was pre-Windows, MS-DOS. <laughs> and Colin used to um, have a prayer meeting in his office, which I went to, and we became friends. And um, I looked to him for advice. So. Um, Foster says, if you cannot listen to your brother, you cannot listen to the Holy Spirit. So we used to go and visit Colin and Pam in their home. He's a good bit younger than me. He said to me, Dennis, you're no spring chicken. <laughs> so when I ring him up, which I did the other day, I say, oh, spring chicken, yeah? And then at the beginning of, the, beginning of our time with him, I would lay before him the issues I wanted some advice on. 
and often he'd say to me, oh, Dennis, spare me the details. <laughs> so I'd try to put too much on him. And then he wouldn't say anything. And then the evening would go on. And then at the end of the evening, before we went, I'd say, well, Colin, what do you think? And he'd tell me, give me good advice. On one occasion, he said to me, if you go down that road, Dennis, you're doomed. <laughs> so I didn't go down that road. Another thing we learned from them, and we need to be open to learn from other people. Um, we were very church, 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 church. And Colin and Pam decided they would start a line dancing class, which they did, a very musical and gifted. So we went and other non-church people came and um, it was really good. And there was one woman who came and she'd lost her only daughter at 21. She had died of asthma, having a fit. No. Yeah, go on. And um, it, was, it was tragic. But after coming to the line dancing class after a bit, she said, this is the first time I've laughed in years. And they prayed with her and other people. So it was a wake up call for us. There's more to life than church. Get out there, get involved, do stuff. Now moving on to corporate guidance and looking in particular at Acts chapter 15, and the council at Jerusalem. It was called because the many were saying the Gentiles, the Greeks who become believers must be required to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders met to consider this question. And they listened first of all to Peter who addressed them and told them how he had received this vision from the Holy Spirit to respond to the men who'd come from Cornelius, the Roman centurion, to go and tell them what had happened and all about Jesus. And he went with others from Joppa and he explained to Cornelius, his relatives and friends, what had happened. And to Peter's astonishment, God showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. So Peter addresses the people at this council and said, well, that is my experience and other people's experience who were with me. I was not alone. And then the assembly listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders they had experienced among the Gentiles. They'd been sent out from the church at Antioch by the Holy Spirit after fasting and praying. So it was a church job. And they, they stood up before the others at this council and they said, well, that was our experience. So they listened to all these experiences and thought about them. And then James summed it all up with these words. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit not to burden you with the law of Moses. There were certain caveats, but I'm not going into those. But basically, 
the requirement to follow the law of Moses was swept aside. And the principles established that Jews and Gentiles were one. And you cannot overstate the importance of this decision. And it was reached by listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to other people's experiences, holding it before God, and then saying, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. And after the ascension and the baptism in the Holy Spirit poured out, chapter 2, Pentecost, this was the pivotal moment in Acts. There came into being a new humanity. It was neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. They were a gathered people of disciples, followers, believers. The restoration, as Rowan put it the other day, of naked believers before God in the Garden of Eden. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That means these Christ folk. It was a contemptuous nickname. But from the 12 came 120 in Acts 1 to 300 plus in Acts 2 to 2.3 billion today who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, which is a third of the world's population, making Christianity by far the biggest faith in the world. That's a quote from Nick Page, The Nearly Infallible History of Christianity. So it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. It was corporate guidance and the outcome was ginormous. How does that relate to CCC? Well, I believe that some of the principles there have been followed in the formation of the leadership team and in the appointment of the group leaders, and also in the Hevertry vision, which I think is from the Lord. However, just to finish, if you read on in the Acts passage, it says, Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. I love it. The Bible does not mess about. There was a sharp disagreement. It was all about taking John Mark with them. Paul said no. Barnabas said yes. So Paul took Silas to Syria and Cilicia, and Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. There was a big fallout. Now this is the key question, the guidance question. Can you work together? If it's yes, work it out together. If no, go your separate ways. Amen. We sang in the beginning, and I actually love those songs Martin and Kay sang, Jesus be my guide. That's the bottom line. But there's loads and loads of guidance out there for us to follow. Let's follow it. Don't get sucked into the ways of death in any way whatsoever. Amen.